Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to talk just for a few minutes about something that I think is, is important. might seem like a, almost a no-brainer topic, but let's talk about it anyway. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 25. Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit as I take just these few moments to try to talk about these things, and I pray, Father, we'd all uh, be changed by it. Help us, Lord, to uh, have open hearts today uh, to you. Holy Spirit, speak, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share a story with you this morning. It's a story that many of you have probably seen online, but uh, some of you may have not. It's a story about three women, Sarah Tukolsky, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, Sarah Tukolsky, Mallory Holtman, and Liz Wallace, three young ladies. In the last college game that she ever played softball in, Sarah was in a slump. She had three hits in her last 34 at-bats, and she was frustrated. There were two runners on base. Sarah came to bat in the second inning of a 0-0 game. That would decide which of these two schools was going to go to the NCAA Division II playoffs. The loser would go home. And so she took the first pitch. It was a strike. The next pitch would have caught the outside corner, but it would have been strike two, but... Sarah absolutely crushed it and knocked it over the left center field fence. Sarah had never felt that before. She had never hit a home run in her life, not in a practice, not in a game, never. She had never experienced that feeling, and in her excitement, she went tearing around the bases, and she missed first base. Now, of course, anyone who is used to Hitting a home run would know you don't have to tear around the bases. You could just jog around the bases. But she was so excited that she was full out running. And when she realized she'd missed first base, she tried to pivot around real fast and dive back for it. And when she did that, she felt something pop in her knee. And she went down. Screaming in pain, she went down. And she crawled and reached for first base. And then she laid there, hugging first base like it was a life preserver. She didn't know at the time, but she had torn her anterior cruciate ligament in her right knee, and and she wasn't going to be running anywhere. She just simply couldn't move. And the first word she heard as she lay there was the umpire saying, don't touch her. Don't touch her. The fear was that if her first base coach or any one of her teammates had gone onto the field to help her, well, then that would have negated her uh, home run. She would, would have actually been called out. The coaches and the umpires met very quickly. 
And with Sarah still lying there in the dirt, if, if, if she had been replaced by a pinch runner, that runner would have to remain on first. So her, her uh, home run, her only home run ever, uh, would have just been recorded as a single, and she would have lost out on that. And so while all this discussion was happening, the central Washington first baseman, who was standing there listening, she looked at the umpire. Her name was Mallory Holtman. She looked at the umpire, and she said, can I help her? I'm not on her team. Can I help her? She called for shortstop, and the shortstop's name was Liz Wallace. And she said, is it all right if we help her? And the umpire said, I I guess. And so they picked her up, and they carried her towards second base. And when they got to second base, they lowered her down so that her one good dangling leg could touch the base. And then they carried her to third base, and then they carried her to home plate. And when they lowered her to touch home, Sarah just simply said through tears, thank you. And in the years since then, you can go and you can look at this. You'll see that Sarah and Mallory and Liz have become Internet sensations. The video is out there, and if you can watch that without crying, it's, it's pretty difficult to do, too. Interview after interview have been conducted. And in one such interview, when asked about this event, Sarah said, My story is about human beings being kind to one another. This morning, I want us to think about verse 32 that I read there. Verse 32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And I want us to concentrate on that first phrase, and be kind to one another. And we can even focus in more laser-like and say, I want to concentrate on one word, and that's that word kind. Kind, it's a big little word in our Bible that we need a lot. I want to ask you this morning, are you kind? Are you kind? Are you kind to your wife, men? Or to your husbands, ladies? How about to your children? Are you kind to your parents, young people? Usually I would look right here and that would be the young people, but I look over here and it's motorcyclists. Are you kind to your parents, young people, wherever you're sitting this morning? How about bosses? Are you kind to your employees? We have some bosses in the room. Or employees, are you kind to those you work with or for? Are you kind to people you share the road with when you drive? Especially the ones who are head down facing their cell phone running over the center line towards you. Are you kind? Are you kind to the McDonald's employee who messes up your order? Are you kind to the many strangers with whom you interact? Are you kind on Facebook? Are you kind on Twitter? Are you kind when you talk with your friends about somebody else? And what about the opposite? Unkindness. Is it ever okay to be unkind? Is there ever an excuse to treat somebody, anybody, unkindly? Well, I want to make a statement right here at the start, and I hope you'll think about this and really consider this seriously, because I believe it's true. Christians can, should, and must always be kind. No exceptions. No exceptions. Never an exception. Always be kind. And so let me just share a few thoughts from Scripture this morning. I'll go as quickly as I can, but I want to, I want to just make a few points from Scripture. First of all, the one thing I see in the Bible is that kindness is desirable. It's desirable. I, I found very specific groups of people that are called out in the Bible and described as, uh, as where kindness is a desirable trait in them. For example, ministers, pastors. Frederick Faber said kindness has converted more sinners than zeal Eloquence or learning. 
I've mentioned before my professor in Bible college who that was his mantra all the time, always be kind, always be kind. So whether you're a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a musician, a song leader, or any other servant in the local church, kindness is a key part of the job. Paul listed it as a key component of his ministry. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, tribulations, needs, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit. And so there it is, a key component. Kindness is desirable in ministers. Kindness is also desirable in leaders. You deal with people from a leadership perspective, bosses, employers. If you deal with people from a leadership perspective like a politician, someone in government, kindness is desirable. You remember the story of Solomon. Solomon reigned over the the, the kingdom of Israel, and at his death, his kingdom passed to his son, Rehoboam. And uh, Rehoboam was uh, asked by some people to lighten the load that Solomon had placed on the people. What they were saying to him was, hey, could you be a little nicer to us? Rehoboam asked uh, some of Solomon's old advisors, and they spoke to him saying, if you are kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. That was pretty good advice. That kindness might have secured the kingdom for Rehoboam for the rest of his life. But he listened to the older guys, and, and of course you know the rest of the story. Then he went to the younger guys. And he rejected the advice which the elders had given him, and he consulted the young man who had grown up with him, who stood before them, and you could read what they told him to do, but it was not kind. It was exactly the opposite of kind, and of course, the kingdom split in two. Kindness is desirable in leaders. Kindness is desirable in women. Ladies, listen up. Kindness is desirable in women. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but Proverbs chapter 31 mentions kindness. Proverbs 31, verse number 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Ladies, you'll never go wrong being kind. Absolutely never. Be kind to your men. Be kind to your kids. Be kind to your lady friends. Making sure that the law of kindness is on your tongue is a key to success in relationships that you might have. So it's desirable in women. Oh, and hey, guess what? It's also desirable in men. So, guys, if you thought you were going to get out of that, if you were sitting there right now saying, sick him, well, listen to this one. Proverbs 19.22, what is desired in a man is kindness. Kindness. You're never going to go wrong being kind. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered, First Peter 3.7. I know that doesn't specifically mention kindness, but I don't see how you get around the fact kindness is part of that. Uh, when I read that in other translations, for example, the ESV and the New American Standard, they, they, they render that this way, live with your wives in an understanding way. And the NIV has it as, be considerate as you live with your wives. And so I don't think I'm stretching the point at all, men, when I, when I say I think that's telling us, be kind to your wives. Few traits are as desirable as kindness in men, and few are as undesirable as unkindness. What is desired in a man is kindness. So in women, in men, kindness is desirable amongst friends. Remember the story of Job in the Old Testament? 
Job. Anytime I get thumbsucky about my state of affairs and start to think that I'm going through difficult times, all I got to do is pick up the book of Job and read it. I mean, think about him. Job lost his wealth, his family, his health all at the same time. One minute he was a prince, the next he was sitting uh, on ashes, covered from head to foot with pus oozing boils. Job, in a day, went from everything to nothing, and then his wife turned against him and suggested he just go ahead and die. You, you talk about your terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He was having one. And then his friends come. He has three friends who come. The Bible says they came to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they saw the state he was in from afar off, they lifted up their voices and wept. And then they sat down silently next to him for seven days. They just couldn't believe what he was going through. They were doing good up to that point. And then they opened their mouth. And the rot set in. And everything went to pieces from there. And they began to attack Job and, and, and tell him that he was in this state because of what a rotten guy he was and all the sin that was in his life. And they proceeded to just heap this on him. And he listened to these attacks and listened to what he said. He said, to him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. And we might paraphrase his words like this. Even if I'm the sinner you guys think I am, you ought to be showing me a little kindness. Kindness is expected in a friend. I ask you this morning, who doesn't desire kindness? We all want it for ourselves. We desire it in our ministers, our leaders, the men in our lives, the women in our lives. We desire it from our friends. So the first thing I would suggest the Bible teaches us is just that. Kindness is desirable. Here's another. Kindness is illustrative. Illustrative. God is kind. God is kind. Jesus said, love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Paul told the Ephesians, God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Nehemiah mentioned God's kindness when he prayed, You are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness. God's kindness is the very reason that we are saved. Titus chapter 3, when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. When his kindness appeared, he saved us. God's kindness is forever. It's forever. I love this passage from Isaiah. Listen to this. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord our Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. I know those words apply primarily there, specifically to Israel, but by application to all of us, God's kindness is forever. It's forever. So kindness is desirable. Kindness is illustrative. Here's another thing. Kindness is possible. It's possible. I've tried to be kind, Pastor, but it's just not in me. That's not my gift. I don't have the ability. And you don't know what I go through. 
You don't know what I have to deal with with this particular person. I've tried it. Some people seem to think either that kindness is not something that applies to them or kindness is just simply not possible for them. But let me suggest, we we really do know how to be kind. Kindness is something that we had no trouble doing when we were courting. Husbands, wives. Genesis 34.3, his soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. That's what we do when we're courting. So we know how to do it, don't we? It's obviously possible. Don't tell me you can't do it. You know how to do it. You were doing it. Kindness is possible. It's possible. And kindness is also evidence. It's evidence of our love. Love suffers long as in, and is kind, 1 Corinthians 13.4 said. It's evidence of our salvation. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We can be kind because we know how. You can tell me you don't, but you do know how. And we can be kind because the Holy Spirit of God is in all of us who name the name of Christ. If you're going to tell me that you don't have that fruit of the Spirit in you, that kindness thing, it's not in there, then I'm going to, I'm going to really question your salvation because the Bible tells me if you're saved, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and he produces that fruit in you, kindness. So kindness is possible. And then there's one other thing. It's desirable, it's illustrative, it's possible, and finally, it's commanded. It's commanded. Let's remember that statement that I made at the very beginning of the message. Christians can, should, and must always be kind to one another. From what we've said so far, we can certainly make a pretty good case for the first two points. We can be kind, and we certainly should be kind. But what about that last one? Must we really always be kind, without exception, even when we don't like somebody, even when somebody has done us dirty or wrong, been unkind to us? What about those days when we're just simply in a bad mood? What about those times? I think the Bible is clear that Christians can, should, and must always be kind, and there's no exception. That's, I don't know how else to read our text. Be kind to one another. That's an imperative. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. It's what Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 12. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. It's what he told the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3. Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. It's what Peter wrote in his second epistle. Also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge to knowledge, self-control to self-control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness. Into brotherly kindness, love. What's missing from any of those passages? What's missing from them? I'll tell you what's missing from them. Exceptions. Wiggle room. There is none in there. Those are imperatives. Those are commands. Telling us in no uncertain terms that we are to be kind to one another. You know, there's a rampant common folly that we see amongst the Christians. God says something very, very clearly in the Bible. We read it. We know what it says. We also know that we're not doing it, as we should. But rather than simply repent of it, or rather than simply obey it, we seek a way out. We look for some exception clause. We look for some loophole 
that we might use to avoid it. But there's no such thing here. There's no such thing in any of these verses. There's no be kind to one another unless clause. There's nothing, nothing like that. Always. Without exception. So kindness is desirable. It is illustrative. It is possible. Mostly it is commanded. And so I ask you, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? If you had a kindness meter right here on the front of your head, and it had a gauge of 1 to 10 on it, with 1 being absolutely stinking rotten nasty all the time, and 10 being kind like God, where would your gauge land? I don't know about you, but I think we need kindness. I think we need more of it. I mean, don't you grow weary of the unkindness that is all around us? We see in our government, we see everywhere, unkindness. Can you not imagine what our world would be like? Kindness was practiced and unkindness was banished. Can you imagine? Imagine our churches. Imagine our workplaces. Imagine our families, our marriages, our homes. If only there was kindness always. Unkindness, never. Our homes need it. Our nation needs it. Our government needs it. Our media needs it. Our churches need it. Our neighborhoods need kindness. Our marriages need kindness. Our families need kindness. And so, my brothers and my sisters, this morning, I want to challenge you today. Will you join me today in committing to this little big word that we need so much more of? To be kind. Join me in striving to be kind. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, yeah, 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 that all sounds good. I, it, it, I see the need of it. I see the need of it. But, but, but how? How can I do it? What is the practical way that I can make sure I'm living there in Ephesians 4.32? And, and, and to answer that question, I want to give you five things. It'll only take me a couple minutes and then we're done. Five practical things you can do to practice being kind, always. And here's the first one. Repent. Repent of unkindness. If you have acted unkindly toward others, and you know that, if you have. If you have spoken unkind words, or even if you thought unkind thoughts. My brother, you need to repent. My sister, you need to repent. You need to lay that sin at the foot of the cross and see it for what it is. It is sin. It is sin that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. It is sin that he died to destroy. We need to repent of it. Nothing else is going to happen until we do that. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to repent of unkindness. And if you have been publicly unkind, then you need to repent publicly. Others, if they know of your unkindness, then you need to make sure they know of your repentance. That's why we have an altar. That's why we give an altar call at the end of every service. If you have publicly let it be known that you're unkind to somebody else, they ought to see you up here repenting of that sin. Repent. Number two. Here's another practical thing. I think you need to memorize Ephesians 4.32. I think you need to memorize it. If you have trouble memorizing, just memorize that first part. Be kind to one another. If you can't even memorize that part, how about just be kind? That part you ought to be able to do. Say it with me. Be kind. We can do that. Memorize it. Underline it in your Bible. Write it on a sticky note. Stick it someplace. Stick it every place. Stick it on your bathroom mirror, your dresser, your refrigerator, on the dashboard of your car. So when that person cuts you off, you can remember to be kind. Put it someplace, every place, where you'll see it, all over your home, if need be, so you remember to be kind to your husband and your wife and your children and one another. Put it on your desk at work or your machine at work so you remember to be kind to your coworkers and your boss and all those 
around you. Most of all, write it on your heart. Burn it into your brain. So you remember always and believe always is something that you can, should, and must have in your life as a Christian. Number three, practice doing only kind things. I don't believe you'll ever regret the kind things you do. But boy, you will regret the unkind things you do. Publius Cyrus wrote in the first century before the birth of Christ, you can accomplish by kindness what you cannot by force. We need to practice doing only kind things. Before you do anything, pause and ask yourself, Self, is this thing that I'm about to do kind? If it's not, kick it to the curb. For God's sake, don't do it. Only do kind things. Number four, practice saying only kind words. Frederick Faber said, kind words are the music of the world. They have a power which seems to be beyond natural causes, as though they were some angel's song which had lost its way and come to earth. Practice saying only kind words. If your Bible is still open, look at verse number 29 of Ephesians chapter 4. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. That's a brutal verse for the Christian who struggles with words. Because it basically says that you're not to say anything unkind and only say things that are kind. You're not to say anything rotten, corrupt, nasty. You're only to say things that build other people up. And I don't know about you, but I find that one hard. It convicts me every time I come to Ephesians. Because in my role, I make my life with what I say, with words. And so I struggle with it perhaps more than some. I remember in the early days of my marriage to Beth, believe this or not, we used to argue from time to time. And I used to actually say unkind things from time to time, much to my shame. I had a bit of a smart mouth. I know you can't believe that. I know you can't. But it's true. And I remember on one particular occasion that I had had left loose some particularly blistering barrage. I don't remember what it was. And I remember her looking at me very sadly and saying, your mouth is going to be the death of you someday. And I have never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that. I think about it all the time. Oh, how we need to practice saying only kind words. What a difference it would make. Finally, number five, practice thinking only kind thoughts. I like Paul's words to the Philippians concerning our thought life. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, he said, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I know the word kindness is not in there, but you tell me which fits that verse better. Kind thoughts? Unkind thoughts. Only kind thoughts. Could be called true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable thoughts. So practice thinking only kind thoughts. Imagine your world, your home, your marriage, your workplace. If you repented of unkindness, if you meditated and memorized and strove with all your might to live in Ephesians 4.32, if you practiced only doing kind things, if you practiced only saying kind things, and if you practiced only thinking kind thoughts. What a world it would be. 
Father God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, for the practical things we see in it. We're thankful, Lord, that we can look at things like this passage in Ephesians and see so much meat. Lord, there were so many things mentioned in these verses, but that last verse, that, that one little phrase, Father, be kind one to another. Burn it on our souls this morning. Burn it into our minds this morning. Help us, Father, to see the importance of it. Help us to see the value of it. Forgive us for unkindness, whether it's in word or in deed or in thought. Forgive us for unkindness. Help us to be kind one to another. Lord, I pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.